I want to welcome everybody to uh, West Irwin this morning. If you would, uh, go ahead and make your way to a seat. And uh, we're going to begin our time together. Uh, just a, a couple of announcements, and then we're going to just dive straight into our worship time this morning. Uh, the biggest one, and this will be the last Sunday you'll hear about it. I know many of you are like, oh, thank goodness. Well, announcements are never fun, but this weekend will be. And so we, we would really like to encourage you, uh, two groups of people actually. Friday night we have our those who are involved in our leadership group, whether that be just in our uh, Sunday morning assembly uh, or other leadership uh, groups, they've all received an email. We want to please ask you, uh, as people who have committed to be a part of the leadership of this church, to be here Friday night. But then everyone uh, on Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, here at our main auditorium, uh, Keith will be here working through uh, his Praise and Harmony workshop with us. And then Sunday morning we'll be here as well with the entire morning centered around worship. Uh, I know Bill will tell you that he's going to have a, a shorter sermon, and he really will. I, I believe it this time. And so uh, I know he will. It's going to be a, a wonderful morning. Uh, and so we want to encourage you to be a part of it. Originally, we had scheduled a potluck luncheon for that Sunday, but with our Family Life Center still under construction right now, uh, we will not be having one. And so we just want to uh, encourage you to come and, and be a part of that. Uh, as well, next Sunday night is our small groups night. And so uh, if you are a part of one of those, please uh, make sure that's on your calendar. And if you're not, uh, talk to one of our, our ministers, to Tucker or Bill or myself, and we can point you in the direction of one of those. Uh, the only other thing that we have as a, a church that we wanted to mention, and it would be easy to, to focus maybe on one or two, and I, I don't want to leave anybody out, so we're not going to do that. We have a lot of people here in our church and directly associated with our church, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins who uh, have come down with COVID recently. Um, a lot of people. I've lost track at this point of how many just directly affiliated who would be here on every single Sunday morning uh, or those who are an immediate family member somewhere else. And so uh, rather than trying to highlight some of those, just know that uh, like the flu, it's going right now. And uh, not that it really ever has gone away, but that it has taken a stronger foothold right now. And so we want to pray for those people that we love and pray for those people that we don't even know that are, that are struggling right now, that uh, are just are having a hard time with where they're at in life right now, whether it be uh, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, like those who are struggling with COVID. So I want to ask you to join me this morning and stand in prayer, and then I will hand it over to Rusty, and we will begin our time in worship. Father God, even when things are, are dark and dreary, we are still able to see your glory, able to see your, your fingerprints on the world around us. In rooms like this where people gather, where believers, where brothers and sisters are here this morning to lift up our voices in praise, to be uh, encouraged by your word and to gather around the table. And to remember and to be filled in awe and thanks for what Jesus has done for us and what his blood continues to do for us. There is so much good in this world. Oftentimes it feels like darkness is surrounding us, but there is so much good in this world because what you created is good. And we are blessed to be a part of that and all the blessings that we receive as a result of it. 
This morning, Lord, as we are here in this place together, or for those who are worshiping online with us as well, God, we are thankful for that opportunity. And I pray that we would take advantage of it, that we would not just be physically present, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually present here together. Lord, we thank you for the examples that we have in your word of of what we will face, not what we could, but what we will, how to stand firm in those situations, how to focus on the life that you would have us to live and how good that life is, how fulfilling that life is, and how blessed that life is. So, God, we are grateful and thankful. We lift those up, Lord, who are struggling right now in all those different ways, and specifically those whose health is not what it once was, God. We, we ask for healing for them. We ask for doctors who would surround them with what they need and for their bodies to do what they, what you've created our bodies to do, to get better. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful for this opportunity to lift you up. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you're online, good morning. Sing really loud so we can hear you. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight with those that love the Lord. And what another speech delight and so fulfill the word.
together. Our Father in heaven, we acknowledge that you are the true and living God, the creator, designer, and sustainer of all that is or ever will be. We come to honor and praise your name above all others because of who you are and because of all you have done. To thank you for your love, your mercy, and grace that you give each of us. To thank you for Jesus, for the life that he lived as an example for us, and for the life that he gave as a sacrifice because of our sin and selfishness. Help us to be better, O oh God, at walking in your light and living a life that reflects the principles and morals you have given to us through your word. Give us the strength we need to resist and reject the temptations that are so prevalent. Inspire within us a spirit of service and sacrifice for you and your kingdom. Father, many of our family are suffering at this time. We ask you to be with all of those that have COVID at this time and be with Danny Skipper and Francis McBee and Howard Dixon, Patsy Pertain Thompson, Donnie Carnathan, Larry Murphy, Edie Strickland, Jerry Moore. We ask that you give each of these families and individuals specifically what they need at this time and in the days ahead. Father, we remember that Solomon said many years ago, there is nothing new under the sun. We believe that, yet we see all the time things that we've never seen or heard of, moral corruption and perversion that is all around us today. Give us all courage, Father, to speak the truth of the gospel in love. Help this church to display a Christ-like spirit in order to reach those that are confused and lost. 
give all of us opportunities to influence the lives of those in need of your teachings. Father, as we worship today, help each of us to remove our, the thoughts of this world's affairs. Focus our attention on you and your son. Be with Bill as he preaches your word. May those words work in our hearts, creating us loving and wise servants. And all we do here today, Father, we pray that you will be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I gave my life for to share these words from this song. Why did the Savior heaven leave and come to earth below, where men his grace would not receive because he loved them so? Why did the Savior mark the way and why temptation no? Why teach and toil and plead and pray because he loves me so? Why feel the garden's dreadful dross? Why through his trials go? Why suffer death upon a cross? Because he loves me so. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me, this I know. He gave himself to die for me. Because he loves me so. I love the passage that speaks of God's undescribable gift. There are no words that could possibly be stated to really help us understand God's great love. But what we can do is respond with a life of faith and a tremendous thank you for the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your gift, for that tremendous sacrifice because of your love for your creation. And so now, Father, at this time, we remember the broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. The body, Father, that was beaten, 
that was torn and that suffered for our sins. And we're grateful for it. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. shed blood. Let's pray.
Father, we can mentally see Jesus praying to you in the garden. If at all possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And Father, we see the whip that tore his flesh and the blood that was shed. We see the crown of thorns that was placed upon his brow and the blood coming forth. We see the soldier taking a spear and piercing his side and the water and blood mingling down his side. And it's that supreme sacrifice, Father, that continues to wash away our sins as we repent of them and seek your forgiveness. And so, Father, as we walk in the light, we know we have cleansing from sin. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. And we thank you. In the name of Christ, amen. to this song. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
count your many blessings. See what God has done. And he has done so much. We are a truly, truly blessed people. Not just monetarily, but in every way imaginable. But God does ask now that we return to him as he has given so much to us. Let's pray. Father, we are abundantly blessed. So far more than most of this world. And we tend to take so much for granted, but as we were reminded through this song, as we count our many, many blessings, we see what you have done. Not us, but what you have done. And because of those blessings, Father, may we return unto you a portion of what we've been blessed with, that it may further your kingdom here on earth and souls will come to know you as we have come to know you. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's sing Jesus Loves Me and let our kids come up for kids' time today. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. You know, Mr. Bill, during our sermon time, I've been preaching from the book in the Bible called Philippians. And the other day, I saw a video of wonderful Miss Ellie there. She was singing a song, and as she sang that song, I thought, you know, that song is a great description of the book of Philippians. And it's, I've got peace like a river, and I've got love like an ocean, and I've got joy like a fountain. Because we have the peace that Jesus gives us, and we have God's love that he gives us, and it causes us to be very happy. 
and to have great joy. So you all know that song, right? I've got peace like a river. Do you know the motions? Yes? Some of you do? Okay, you're going to have to stand up. And unfortunately, uh uh-oh, so is Mr. Bill. Sorry about that, buddy. I wish I could say that's the first time something like that has happened, but nope, not at all. Okay, so you remember the, the, the motions, right? Here they are. I've got peace like a river, right? Now you'll have to ask your grandparents why two fingers held up stands for peace. I've got peace like a river. I've got love like an ocean. Now you have to do it like you're calling somebody safe. I've got love like an ocean. I've got joy like a fountain. Okay, now the object on this one is to make yourself look as funny as possible and to not fall down. (laughs) Both of those, okay? So that's love like an ocean down in my soul. And so you point to the soul of your shoe. Now that's not theologically correct, but that's okay. Okay, um, so you ready? You want to try it? You ready? Okay. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. Got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got love like an ocean. I've got love like an ocean. Got love like an ocean in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. Okay, you want to try all three of them? Not at the same time, but we'll do one, and then we'll do the next one, and then we'll do the next one. You ready? Y'all are doing really good at this. Okay, you ready? I've got peace like a river. I've got love like an ocean. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got love like an ocean. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. Very, very good. That's what we're talking about. The joy of Christ that's seen in the love of God that gives us peace. Okay, now it's time for you to go to blast or back to your pew as we sing about Jesus' love. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Well, that was awesome. Please stand for our next song, Send the Light. <clears throat> I don't know if we can, we can keep up with that. I'm not doing anything on this. I'm sorry. <clears throat> There's a call comes ring on the restless place in the light. Oh, 
We have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. That song, that verse, that statement, as you know, comes right out of Acts chapter 16. It's that part of Paul's mission journey where he had struck out on his second mission journey, as we call it, thinking that he would retrace the steps of his first one, which he did for a while, and then the Holy Spirit stopped him. He was going through modern-day Turkey and looking at all of the churches that he and Barnabas earlier had established and, and continuing to work to evangelize others. And as, uh, as they did that, they were stopped, and they couldn't go where they wanted to go. And that's when Paul realized he had this vision of a man from Macedonia in the northern part of modern-day Greece saying, come over here and help us. We have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. As we go through this book of Philippians, we're talking about the place and the church that was established because of that call. When Paul goes across and finds himself for the first time in Europe, he goes to the northern part of Greece, which was the Roman district of Macedonia. And the first place he stops is the Roman colony called Philippi. We introduced this study last week, and we looked a little bit at some of the first part of chapter 1. And we said the joyful life in Philippians begins with the joy of fellowship. I've entitled this series, Living the Joyful Life. Living a joyful life. A life that is full of joy. How does that happen? Well, we read a lot about joy in the book of Philippians. As Paul instructs the church there and the Christians there about how they should live... In a difficult time, far more difficult than we're experiencing right now, though we do acknowledge that things are difficult for us. But it was far worse for them. And as Paul writes this letter, he is in prison. He is in Rome, awaiting his fate. He had appealed to Caesar, the emperor, because he couldn't trust his own people, the Jews, to give him justice. And so he appealed to the pagan government to give him that justice and to hear his case And ultimately, he would have that opportunity. But while he's there for a couple of years in Rome, he writes letters to several different churches, including the church at Philippi. And he writes to them about joy. He writes to them about rejoicing in the Lord. As our shepherd, uh, Ken Culpepper, led us in our prayer today, he shared about us hearing at this time the word of God so that we could be better servants of his. I think that's exactly the purpose with which Paul writes as well. Paul then, after talking about the joy of fellowship, he then acknowledges his own suffering and speaks of the joy of sacrifice. And that's something that's unusual. We don't think of joy and sacrifice being in the same sentence. And one actually leading to the other. Or one being able to be experienced at the same time as the other. We would think that sacrifice would cause someone to be sad and sorrowful. And granted, as we read in Scripture, Old Testament and New, there was no denial of the sufferings that they went under. Nor was Paul in denial of his own sufferings. He had been beaten. He had been flogged. He had been in jail. He had been uh, stoned by his oppressive Jewish enemies. And now he was in jail, not knowing for sure whether he would survive it or not. He didn't know if the emperor would say guilty or innocent. As we'll see today, he had a hunch. 
But all of that was still in the future. So a few things today about what joyful sacrifice does. How it helps us to live a joyful life. First of all, joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. Joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. We read from Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to him? He's been arrested, and now he's on, waiting for trial before the Roman emperor for his life. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. As far as why Paul was in prison, as far as why he was in jail, why he had been accused, why he was waiting for this appeal before the Roman emperor, everyone knew why. There was no question. They knew that he was there because he preached Christ. Everyone. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Joyful sacrifice encourages the preaching of Christ. And they did that. And we'll come back to that verse in just a little bit. Verse 15, now he begins to talk about motives behind the preaching. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. He's talking about motives. He says there's a lot of preaching going on outside of where I am incarcerated. And some of it by people from pure motives and some of it by people with impure motives. Some of it are doing it so that the gospel can be shared and spread and people can hear and respond. But some, he says, are doing it just to stir up trouble for me while I'm in here. And I've always thought when I read this passage that he's probably talking about Christians versus the Jews or pagans, other non-Christians. That the Christians are preaching Christ with sincere motives and the pagans and the Jews are preaching Christ just to make it difficult for Paul. Because I guess their thinking is, if there's a lot of preaching going on out there and that's why Paul is in jail, they'll probably beat him more and make his, his stay in, in prison worse because of what's going on outside. And I think there's likely some truth to that. But I was reading something from someone and it gave me a little bit different perspective. He talked about some of those who were actually members of the church at Philippi, the Philippian Christians. And maybe they were a little embarrassed that Paul was in jail and that they're... Remember this, this is a very patriotic city. It's a Roman colony. It was founded by Alexander the Great and it was named after his father, Philip of Macedon. And named by the Roman emperor, a Roman colony. So a good part of the citizen of the people of Philippi were likely Roman citizens just like Paul was, which was also a status symbol. And so it could be that some of the Christians there in Philippi were uh, uh, worried about him when he was in jail there. And now that he's in jail in Rome, same thing. Some of those who are in Rome 
are certainly embarrassed to have this man who came. And remember, Paul didn't establish the church in Rome. But he's going through something just very similar to what he went through in Philippi, in Greece. And so it may be that some of them are preaching so that things will be worse for Paul, so that they can, they can maybe try to, try to help those who are looking at this and are thinking, this is not a good thing. Why is, why is your guy, your missionary, your preacher, your apostle in jail? Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know what is true is what Paul says. There are some who are preaching out of false motives, some who are preaching out of true motives. Some who wanted to spread the love and word of Christ, and some who only wanted things to be harder for Paul and for the other Christians. And so we ask ourselves, well, what, what would that mean? I mean, how would Paul react to something like that? And after acknowledging that difference, he says this, and we're amazed, starting in verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And we are shocked. We are shocked. We can't imagine that Paul would rejoice over someone's preaching Christ out of bad motives. Someone who is doing that just to stir up trouble. Someone who wasn't pure. Someone who wasn't true. Someone whose message wasn't quite right. And whose heart certainly wasn't quite right. And we expect Paul to say, I want you to know that Jesus knows which ones are right and which ones are wrong, which ones are true, which ones are false, and he'll judge them. But he doesn't say that. Instead, Paul rejoices. Rejoices. And I think the reason he does that is because he thinks back on some of those parables that Jesus told you know at the end of the Gospels, Matthew 25, for example, where he talks about that end of the world stuff. And in all of those cases, when Jesus is telling those stories... It's not us that does the judgment. It's not the people that does the judgment. It's the angels. The angels come and they separate the wheat from the chaff, for example. They separate the good ones from the bad ones, the right to the left or whatever. It's the angels that do that. It's God who does that. What is our job? Our job is to rejoice. When Christ is preached, we rejoice. I think Paul is saying to us, you know, it's okay to be happy when the name of Jesus is out there. And we'll let God take care of the motives. You've heard me say many times, including in our Job series we just finished, I've come to believe two things about God. Number one, God exists. I believe that with all of my heart. And number two, what? I'm not him. And judging the hearts and motives of people is God's job, not mine. When someone needs to be talked to and shared with and concerns shared even, I'm all about it. But what Paul says is absolutely amazing. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Jesus had a similar thing happen to him that's recorded in Mark 9. A couple of the apostles heard someone other than their group preaching Christ. (laughs) 
preaching about Jesus. And they came back and they said, hey, you want us to tell him to shut up? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let him go. The one who's not against you is for you. And that's a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus was secure enough about his ministry and what he was called to do that he could let those be turned over to the Father. As we see our culture and our climate, our, our kids that are going through so many hard, difficult things that most of us that have been through uh, with school for a while would never even dream of going through. As we see our culture turning farther and farther away from biblical values that that we believe that God wants us to have as a community and as a nation, as we see that happening, are we going to rejoice when we see others preaching Christ? I think we can do that without giving up our own convictions. I think we can turn that over to God and rejoice that Christ is preached and continue to rejoice And continue to preach him ourselves and to live according to what we understand the word to be. Yes, I rejoice because of this and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, for I know, Paul says to the Philippians now, verse 19, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. We're about to hear the bottom line. What is the bottom line with you? What is the bottom line with how you live your life? Where your hope lies? What you say and what you do. We hear that mentioned a few times in a few different ways in Scripture, and we're about to hear one of them. And we've already gotten a hint from Paul what he's going to say, that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul didn't know for sure. He has a hunch. But he says, really, that doesn't matter to me, because either way, Christ will be glorified. If they put me to death or if they set me free, can you say Now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that, my friends, is the bottom line. To live is Christ. If I go on living, it's going to be Christ. If I die, that's personal gain for me. (laughs) But if that doesn't happen, then they will see Christ living in me. Paul said that in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, Christ lives in me. He tells the Roman Christians, look, that he would write them a letter. (laughs) And now he's there and and he tells them, your body must be a living sacrifice. And he's doing the same thing and living it out right there in front of them. Jesus himself said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross every day. And follow me. To live is Christ. It's another way of saying that. To live is Christ, Paul says. And to die is gain. There are several scriptures on your outline that talk about that heavenly hope that we have. That living hope, as Peter calls it. That mansion that Jesus is preparing for us in John 14. 
that ultimate promise that He will take care of us even after death. And that one day we will be raised and will live with Him forever. The way Paul puts it in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, verse 22, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I hope we can all say that. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul says, I would much rather depart and be with Christ. And I know there's a lot of discussions, and I'm not completely settled on it, about what happens to our bodies and our spirits right after we die. I mean, are we asleep in the grave? Do we go somewhere, a, a, a waiting place that some have called uh, Hades, the good place and the bad place? Do we go straight to heaven? What, what is it? Well, we don't know the answers to that in particular, but I do take value in what Paul says here. If I die, I, that's better for me because then I will depart and what? Be with the Lord. So whatever happens specifically, we're going to be with the Lord and it's going to be okay. It's going to be more than okay. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Just as he told that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paul says, it's better for me to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. As he writes back to the Philippians from prison in Rome, he tells them, I expect that I'll be released and I'll be able to see you once again. And as best we can tell historically, Luke ends the book of Acts before we find out. But from his history, we find that Paul was exactly right. He was released. It was somewhere around 60, 62 in the common era, uh, A.D., and And he was released and he goes on and he does some more mission work and he does some travels and he gets arrested again. And within about five to seven years after he writes these words, he is back in the same place, waiting to hear his fate from the Roman Emperor Nero. Only that time, the verdict is guilty. And he is beheaded for his faith. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, I can't help but think of Davy's wonderful thoughts and sharing those songs with us as we gathered around the table, as we thought about counting our blessings. Here's Paul. He's in prison. He doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's, he's had all of these things that he tells the, the Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about. And if there was ever a guy that could say, I have been treated unjustly. I don't deserve this. It would be him. <laughs> Instead, what is he doing? He's counting his blessings. He's naming them one by one. And one of the blessings he has is that Christ is preached. Because of my suffering, there are people that are encouraged and emboldened to preach Christ. And for that I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. I gave my life for thee. The song said, what hast thou given for me? To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Finally today, joyful sacrifice increases the courage of Christ's disciples. 
starting in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Why? Because you keep doing this. You don't give in. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, Christians are not masochistic people. We don't like to hurt. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to be persecuted. Paul didn't like it. The Christians in Rome or Philippi didn't like it. But it was a reality. And when you're suffering for the cause of Christ, you rejoice. And you see it as a blessing and a gift. To suffer for the one who suffered so much for you. It has been granted to you, verse 29, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He was in jail in Philippi (laughs) on that second mission journey. And they saw that. And now they hear that he's in jail again for the same reason preaching the gospel of Christ. He tells them to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word, conduct yourself, is the word conduct, but it's the verb form. And it's related to that word citizen or citizenship. He's basically saying, live like a good citizen. And he makes it clear in chapter 3, verse 20, what he means when he says, I realize that you all are, you live in in a Roman colony of Philippi. Probably a lot of you are Roman citizens. Or now, as, they're, as he's writing to them from Rome. But he tells them, as far as citizenship, ultimate citizenship is concerned. Philippians 3, verse 20, your citizenship is in heaven. And that strikes a really big message for us today, does it not? We pray for our country, we pray for our communities, we pray for our world. And we do what we can to try to help make things better. But underneath it all, at the ultimate foundational level, our citizenship is in heaven. The Christians who were in Rome, the Christians who were in Philippi, their citizenship was in heaven. And so how things work out out here is going to affect us and it's going to make our lives better or worse or about the same. And we pray and we hope and we work so that that goes well. But whether it goes well or not, and it was not going well for the Philippian Christians or for Paul in Rome. But whether it goes well or not, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we should conduct ourselves accordingly. Live as good citizens. Not good citizens of Rome. Not as good citizens of the town of the colony of Philippi, live as good citizens of heaven, Paul says. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then we look back to that verse 14. And this is what he says. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Joyful sacrifice increases the courage of Christ's disciples. Why? Because you can be a good or a bad example. 
You can be one who has courage and courageously stands against the flow and holds to your Christian convictions and holds to that call from Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever their values, whatever color they are, whether they're rich or poor, they're your neighbor. And when we love our neighbor as ourselves, the way Christ has loved us, it has an impact. And when one person does that, then others find the courage to do the same. When one person speaks out about their faith, others have the courage to do the same. Many of our young people have already started back to school. The majority of them will start this Wednesday. And I pray that you will have the courage to stand up for your faith. Speak the truth in love, certainly so, Paul tells the Ephesians. But speak and live the truth. Because Paul did that, others had the courage to do the same. Dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So a couple of thoughts as we close today. If you suffer as a Christian, the Apostle Peter writes, accept that sacrifice with joy. The word Christian, as you probably know, is only uh, found three times in the New Testament. That's shocking, isn't it? And yet only three times. Once in Acts 11, when it was first coined, the disciples were called Christians. First at this very contemporary, very culturally minded church at Antioch of Syria. Uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, when Paul was preaching the gospel to him as he was telling his story... It became very evangelistic, and Agrippa says, do you think in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian after one lesson, Paul, really? And Paul says, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would love for you to become a Christian today. And then the other is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, in the midst of the context of persecution and suffering. Peter writes, if anyone suffers, let him do so as a Christian. If you suffer, do it because of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was suffering. Because then you can respond with joy. If you suffer as a Christian, accept that sacrifice with joy. And a reminder again of the bottom line today. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That is our bottom line. Today are you leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus? I hope that you are, but if you're not, and we can help you do that by being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or by responding as you hear these words of the courage of the Apostle Paul, the courage of the Christians in Philippi and Rome, the courage of the people sitting around you today. Perhaps it is inspiring you to say, I want to have that courage. I want to dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. If there's a way we can help you and serve you as you seek to lean on the arms of Jesus, come as we stand and sing this great hymn together. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, lean on the everlasting arms.
seated, please. This is Christine Weathers. Uh, Ross is her husband, and we love the Weathers family. Uh, all the branches of it, by the way. And you mean so much to us. And you are part of not just their family, but today you're part of our family as well, Christine. And we are so proud of you for that. And we love you for that so much. So in just a moment, uh, Uncle Wade is going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. And we're all going to rejoice with you over that and with all of your family. But I want to ask you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross and was raised from the grave? Yes. God bless you for that wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. confession, Christine. You will always be in our prayers. You probably don't need a book, but if you want to grab a book, it will school it here. Let's sing number three. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. As they're preparing for the baptism. Hallelujah, praise
Amen.